Will you please join me as we pray together? Father, we do thank you that you've brought us together. And just as we heard that as we welcome one another, may we be reminded that we're welcomed by you. So as we come before your word, give us humble hearts, allow the word to speak to us and change us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Again, good morning and welcome to Lighthouse. So glad that you guys are here. And an interesting fact about Lighthouse is that when we planted the church 20 years ago, we also brought a pastoral intern, a paid pastoral intern. Not too many church plants have that luxury, but raising future church leaders, this has been in our DNA since the very beginning. And over the years, we've trained close to 50 year-long and summer interns. You know, many years ago, Lighthouse had a pastoral intern who during a staff meeting shook his head and blurted out, ministry is hard. In honor of this former intern, we too blurt out, ministry is hard as we eat steak during Iron Sharpens Iron or eat a sweet treat brought by a church family member. Joking aside, ministry has been hard for pastors, especially during and following the pandemic. You know, in recent years, pastors were, were asked to be experts on matters related to law and ordinances, to politics, to mental health, to technology, to race, to medical research, and so on. Being a pastor and doing pastoral things like preaching, praying, and caring for the congregation seems like it's not enough anymore. There's so much pressure to do more, to know so much more, and then to have an opinion for you and for the church. And this is one of the reasons why our small group book that we're going through, You're Not Crazy, was written. The back cover says, being a pastor is hard work, whether it's relational difficulties in a congregation, growing opposition toward the church as an institution, or countless other unexpected challenges. It's no surprise if you're tempted to give up or feel like you're going crazy. You know, Pastor Kim has personally seen this as he's been contacted by over 10 pastors in the last few years, and at least eight of them have told him they were leaving the ministry. Ministry is hard. Before continuing though, I wanted to just press the pause button and just to let you know, my church family, that you have cared so well for the elders, for the pastoral staff, from the associate pastors to the administrators, to the deacons, you've cared so well for us. And we're so thankful for that. And most importantly, we thank you that each of you are just wanting to be Christ formed, that you want to live for Christ. And that makes our job so much easier and it brings us such joy. But for the past few minutes though, I've used the word ministry to describe what a pastor does with the church members. But I'd like to broaden how I use the word ministry for this message. So when I mention ministry, I'm speaking to the youth and college advisors as you're ministering to the students. I'm speaking to small group leaders as you minister to those in your small group. I'm speaking to the disciplers and counselors, formal and informal, who are ministering to someone who's suffering and hurting and struggling with sin. And I'll broaden the use of this word to even those outside the church. I'm speaking to parents as you minister to your kids. I'm speaking to those of you who are ministering to a neighbor or a classmate or a teammate. Really, when I use the word ministry in this message, I'm basically saying how we serve others. 
And that's what we're gonna talk about this morning, how to help minister to our fellow believers and those around us when our ministry turns from joy and delight to discouragement and opposition. You know, each Sunday as we've gone through the book of Galatians verse by verse, the Apostle Paul has taught us how to help those who are following a false gospel, and that is to point them to the true gospel. He's done this from several different angles. He started with experiential, and he talks about his life was changed by Jesus Christ. And then he uses the theological argument and explains the gospel in full for us. And now he's made historical argument about sharing how God used Abraham and other Old Testament writers to talk about our faith. And for our particular passage, or and for our particular passage, Paul changes his tactic and exhorts the Galatians to return to the true gospel by talking about their friendship. He's appealing to their hearts by using a relational argument. For our particular passage, the flow of Paul's argument goes like this. He'll give them a command to become like him as he's become like them in Christ. And then he'll take them down memory lane to the early days when he preached the gospel and they embraced the gospel. Then he'll jump to their current day and contrast how their lives were so different because they've been influenced by false teachers who've taught them a false gospel. So let's take a look at our passage. So please turn or tap in your Bibles to Galatians chapter four, and we'll be taking a look at verses 12 through 20. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify that to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that may, they make mu- may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. <clears throat> you know, as I just mentioned, the message is going to focus on ministering to others here at church or outside the church when ministry becomes hard, when you're discouraged, when you're beaten, when you just want to throw in the towel and give up. So as we begin this message, <clears throat> I want to ask you to personalize the passage by thinking of someone who you are ministering to or someone you may be having difficulty with. And I trust as we go through this that God's word will have a will speak to you. So our message though will focus on this. Three personal encouragements to remember when ministry is hard. The first encouragement is this, to remember the gospel transformed me so it can transform them. It's obvious, but when it comes to ministry and serving, it involves people. 
And have you thought about the purpose of relationships with family members or friends and fellow church members? You know, God created us to be relational beings who enjoy com- conversations with others, enjoy common interest, enjoy exploration, and enjoy fellowship around Christ. Relationships are special because of the time we spend together creating shared experiences. But I believe the purpose of relationships is to do all the things we've just mentioned under, though, the ultimate goal of having Christ formed in our us and in others. We love and serve each other so that we may become like our Savior. The Paul, Paul, Apostle Paul captured his relationship with his Galatian Christian brothers and sisters in verse 19. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. That should be our guiding light as we minister to others especially when ministry is hard. We want to Christ to be formed in those we serve. And as we serve others, we also want Christ to be formed in us. But you may be wondering, what does being Christ formed look like? Galatians 2.20 paints a beautiful picture for us. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, during the upcoming Easter series, Pastor Kim is going to unpack this beautiful verse for us. But for right now, I hope you'll see that Christ being formed in us means joyfully allowing the Holy Spirit to change everything about us our desires, our identity, our motivations, our thoughts, our actions, by conforming them to Christ's commands. And as we'll see, this conformity is not stifling individuality, but freeing us to truly become who God created you to be. And this formation happens individually as we commune with Christ, and it happens in community as we minister to one another. So let's see how this truth comes alive as we turn our attention to verse 12. Paul still sees the Galatians as his Christian brothers and sisters, even though they're making ministry difficult. And he sets a tone with a personal and heartfelt word for them when he says, brothers, I entreat you. And what does his heart want for them? He continues, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. So I'm going to break this sentence down into two parts, become as I am, and the second half is, for I also become as you are. Become as I am is an imperative, it's a command, and it's actually the first command in this letter. So Paul wants to make clear what he wants for them to change. What is a command? Become as I am. And first off, though, he isn't saying become like him by looking at his resume or his experience or his notoriety or anything else people use to prove that they're more special than someone else. No, he wants them to see Christ shining in and through his earthly life. He's pointing them to his faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is commanding them to become Christ-formed just as he is. I remember during elementary school, we did art, 
and Art had, at different times, we got to make different things with clay. And I remember making a pencil holder with two pencils that looked like an antenna and a mouth that held my eraser. I made a bowl, and I made a dinosaur. True works of art, true works of art. But we know that a piece of clay in of itself is just useless as it sits there until it is formed into something. The decision each of us must make is whether we will try and shape ourselves into the image we want to be, because we have the power to change our exterior. We can change our clothes, our hair color, our interests. But the problem is we're powerless and hopeless to change our hearts that are filled with hurts, discouragements, shame, insecurities that have all been influenced by sin. The other way is to let God form us into who he created us to be. First and foremost is the transformation from condemned sinner to forgiven saint. And this forming can only come through the gospel. So when we embrace the gospel, all of life changes for us. We're formed differently. Now the second part of the command is, for I also have become as you are. Remember, Paul was born a Jew, ethnically and religiously. So Paul, being a Jew, was raised to believe that in order to know and be forgiven by God, a Jew had to follow all of the Jewish laws and traditions. Anyone not Jewish was considered a Gentile, an outsider to God's family. A Gentile was not Jewish, so he didn't have to follow all the Jewish laws and traditions. So when Paul became a Christian, he didn't become like the, uh, like he became like a Gentile who didn't have to follow all the Jewish laws because now he was saved by faith alone. And this is a good place to briefly explain the gospel order preached by Paul in contrast to the gospel order preached by the false teachers. Here's what I mean. Paul taught, believe in Jesus Christ, you'll be saved, and then you'll obey God's law. The false teachers were saying this, believe in Jesus Christ, obey God's law, and then you'll be saved. You may say, what's the difference? It's semantics. It's just another way of saying the same thing. But I want you to know which one you believe has eternal consequences. You'll either be welcomed by God because your sins have been forgiven, or you'll be rejected by God and condemned to hell. It's that serious. Really, which one you believe will be the most important decision you'll ever make in your life? Nothing else comes close. So which one do you believe? Believe in Jesus Christ, obey God's laws, and then you'll be saved like the false teachers? Or Paul's command for the Galatians to choose the right one. Believe in Jesus Christ, you'll be saved, and then you'll obey God's law. You know, let's slow down and think about why this encouragement, the gospel transform me so it can transform them, is so important when we minister to others. First, we can only minister Christ to others if we personally tasted the sweetness of Christ ourselves. It's when we remember we're only Christians by God's grace 
that it completely changes the way we look at others we're serving. Second, we must not lose hope that God can change the person we're ministering to. It could be that hard to reach youth, that mean kid in CM, that counselee who keeps sinning, that critical church member. Our faith is in a promise-keeping God, and in his word we find hope. Second Peter 3, 9 says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Romans 12, 12 says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. And there are some of you who are products of faithful saints who ministered to you for many months and years. They didn't give up. They prayed, they loved, they listened, they were patient. They remembered what their lives were like before Christ, but more importantly, their hope was in God who saves, a God of grace. And then rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer for that unbelieving mom or dad, for that wayward and rebellious child, for that wandering church member. Don't give up loving and hoping because our God never gave up on us. We now come to our second encouragement. The gospel allows me to see trials as opportunities. Let's take a look at how God used two trials as gospel opportunities. The first one is found in verses 13 through 15. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. One trial is to see gospel opportunities in hardships. Paul had a deep love for the Galatians. He was their spiritual father, so he was gonna do anything to help them to know Christ, to point them back to Christ. And during those early years of Paul's ministry with the Galatians, ministry was so encouraging and uplifting. The Galatians were soaking in the gospel and displaying gospel love to Paul and to one another. Ministry was beautiful and good. But that wasn't Paul's original plan. It sounded like he wanted to kind of breeze through the area of Galatia. But sometimes we have plans. And sometimes God just shakes his head and saying, I know you have plans, but I have greater plans for you. But did you catch what slowed the Apostle Paul down? A physical ailment. Paul doesn't tell us what it is, but there's some clues that possibly had something to do with his eyes from our passage. And at the end of the letter, when he writes, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hands. For argument's sake, let's just say the illness affected his eyes. And all we know is that Paul said his eyes were a trial. Maybe one of our doctors or optometrists can tell us what that diagnosis is, but I'm thinking it's not good if it was his trial. Using my imagination, they must have looked crazy, mixed Hollywood zombie eyes with college students during finals week pulling all-nighters. That's probably what's going on there. But, but you looked at him and you would have kind of flinched. 
You know, or, or maybe as you looked at him, your eyes would begin to water in pain. And this is kind of how Paul was. He was limited in his sight. So he wasn't able to travel and he was just lo- in a localized area. But place yourself in Paul's sandals. He had important plans to meet people who were interested in the gospel in other places. He had an itinerary to make the best use of his time and his money. But now, because of physical ailment, he has to wait. The gospel reminded Paul who his faith was placed in. It was placed in the God who is sovereign, even over infections, trip plans that are changed, and money. So Paul learned the lesson that friendships, hardships are gospel opportunities. So when you're faced with a trial, you can ask yourself, what opportunity is God presenting me right now? And during a hardship, you just ask yourself, what is the opportunity that God has presented me right now? Paul saw a gospel opportunity by not letting his physical illness get in the way. And listen to how the, the Galatians responded by this. The Galatians did not wrong Paul. They did not scorn him. They didn't despise him. And later in verse 15, they would have gouged out their own eyes and given them to Paul. They cared so much for him. Remember, right worship leads to right living. Right understanding of God's sovereignty leads to a right way of seeing hardships as gospel opportunities. Many years ago, our church went through a small group season reading and studying a book written by Ken Sandy called The Peacemaker. It was a book on how to resolve conflicts like Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And this was the first time I heard Conflict provides opportunities. It was a shocking statement for me because it really changed my paradigm about conflicts. It wasn't just something to get through or a conflict is something you win, but something to see as opportunities for Christ to be formed in me and the person I was in conflict with. You know, let's read where God allowed the trial of a personal conflict as a gospel opportunity in verses 15 and 16. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Paul's memories of the Galatians are filled with love and joy and warmth. But now he writes what he's experiencing as something completely different. He's confused and asks, what then has become your blessedness? Meaning, like, where's the joy? Where's the love? Where's the friendship that we've shared together? And he follows it up with another question. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? He left these church heading in the right direction, but they took a 180 degree turn. He knew them then, but he doesn't know who they are now. The gospel helps, helps us make sense of conflicts. It, it tells us why we have conflicts, our sinful selves fighting for different things. And it tells us to expect conflicts because the contents of the gospel is offensive, because it tells people that they're sinful. It tells them that they will go to hell because of their sin. It tells proud, successful people they need to become like a child to receive God's gift of salvation. The gospel will offend. 
but we as the messengers don't want to be offensive. So when ministry gets hard with a person we're ministering to, do we let conflicts slam the door on the relationship or let conflicts burn the relational bridge? Rather, let's follow in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul and see conflicts as gospel opportunities. You know, this past Wednesday, Alessandro and Chenpe Gonzalez, along with their three sons, got on a plane and started a new chapter of their lives as missionaries in Japan. And a group of us watched as we as we uh, as they headed into the family, headed into the security lines, and kind of as they disappeared into it. But you know, leading up to that, that we were so excited for them. We're so excited that they were willing to sacrifice life here in America so that those in Japan would be able to hear about Jesus Christ. We were so excited about it. But in our group as well, we understood that they were going to a place where conflict and opposition and maybe even a hatred against them was gonna be a reality. Because you may not know, but Japan is known as the missionary graveyard. It's that hard. It burns missionaries out, grinds them up and spits them out. But we're so thankful for the Gonzaleses because we know that their understanding of the gospel is going to frame the challenges, the conflicts that they're going to face. But I also encourage you, the church family, to keep the Gonzaleses in prayer, to pray for them, that they would latch on, that they would treasure the gospel so much so that no matter what conflict arises in their lives, they'll be able to see it as a gospel opportunity that no matter what hardship they face, they'll be able to see it as a gospel opportunity. And finally, we come to the third encouragement. The gospel frees me to love even when facing opposition. We just spoke about conflict as a gospel opportunity, but this encouragement is focused on our response. We as Christians are called to love our neighbor but it's harder to love someone we're personally ministering to who opposes us. How do you love the counselee who's adamant they are right and doesn't wanna follow your counsel? How do you love the person in your fellowship who has an abrasive attitude towards you? How do you love the child who yells they hate you and doesn't want to obey your commands? Or how do you love the family member who is intentionally spent, you spend time with but who is an antagonistic towards you because of your Christian faith. Fortunately for many of you, this type of opposition isn't in your present circumstance. But for others who are facing opposition, from those who are close to them, it can be utterly disappointing and discouraging because that hard relationship always seems to be there. Kind of the, the backdrop, the humming in our hearts. So how did the Apostle Paul love even when facing opposition from those he loved? One way is remembering ministry is not about us. As I just mentioned, what makes ministry hard is because ministry is so personal. You're, not, you're sharing your life with another person and that person with you. Your heart is invested in this relationship. So when that person begins to oppose you, it's really difficult because you take it so personal. You can hear it when Paul says in verse 16, have I then become your enemy? 
Paul's not discounting that his personal feelings may have been hurt, but what we see is that he doesn't get angry. He's not fighting or blaming the other person. He's not putting them down. But sometimes if you're like me, we get so angry because we want to protect maybe being competent as a parent or being competent as a minister or being competent as a counselee. We want to argue that, look at how much we've sacrificed for you. How dare you say that? Look at all the things I've done. Paul remembered, though, his ministry identity didn't come from what he did, but from who God told him he was. His identity was Christ-formed. So that's why he didn't focus on being hurt by the Galatians. Rather, he focused on being Christ's servant and continued loving them. Remember, ministry is not about us, but about serving others, even those who oppose us so that the gospel is made beautiful to them, and actually the gospel is made beautiful to us as well. So the Apostle Paul loved those who opposed him by not taking their attacks on him personally. But another way the gospel freed him to love was to keep making it personal. Here's what I mean. There's a reason why someone is opposing you. It just didn't happen when a person woke up and said, I'm gonna fight against my college advisor or fight against my roommate today. No, usually there's a reason. And a really good way to start is by understanding what's going on in that person's heart. What's going on in that person's life? Personally, what's happening? What's the heat? What's the pressure points? Are they making something more important than God? These heart-revealing questions helps us to understand the person. The Apostle Paul does this by learning what and who is influencing them. Our lives are constantly being shaped and influenced. You, you listen to a song, you sing lyrics, and you're humming that tune later on in the day. You see ads and think about, you know, maybe what if I had that item? Or you talk with your friend about an issue, and what they say helps form your thoughts and your response. Remember, we must filter out anything that doesn't help us or those around us to be Christ form. And that's what Paul does. He wants to know who are the Galatians' influencers. He says in verse 17, they, meaning the false teachers, make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. What we see is that the Galatians were being influenced by these false teachers who were motivated by their pride. They wanted to be esteemed and elevated as the elite. Their passion was not for the gospel nor for the Galatians, but they wanted to be made much of themselves. There wasn't any genuine care or love for the Galatians, and that broke Paul's heart. You know, our hearts break seeing those we're ministering to being influenced by someone who's leading them away from Christ. It could be a recent college grad who started a new job and is now being influenced by the owner of the company into believing career success is what will bring you happiness and your identity. To the person struggling with depression and being influenced by a podcast into believing that checking out of life and relationships is the best choice. To the high school girl who for the first time has someone who's interested in her and she's swept off her feet, unfortunately by a smooth-talking non-Christian guy whose motivations are far from pure. 
And when you try and help each of the people that you care deeply about, you only hear opposition. You don't really know me. If you knew me, you'd, you'd be happy for me. You don't understand. Unfortunately, this is what was happening with the Galatians. They wanted so badly to be included. They, they didn't want to be shut out that they were willing to embrace a false gospel. And again, we're not too different. We're not too different at all. We want to be included. We want things. We're willing sometimes to give up on the true gospel for a false gospel. And as we minister to those who oppose us, our goal is to ask good questions that reveal what false gospels are they holding on to that is leading to their sinful actions. Remember, right worship leads to right living and right choices. Wrong worship leads to wrong living and wrong choices. Extending love by understanding those we're serving and remembering ministry is not about us, is so challenging, but not impossible. You know, as the church that planted Lighthouse, they had a really large youth basketball program. Around 20 to 25 teams, boys and girls teams, ranging from little ones up to high school students. And I was tasked to oversee the ministry because over time, the basketball ministry was focusing more on basketball and less on ministry. So we had to make sure all the coaches and assistant coaches were Christians. We wanted coaches to give short devotionals, pointing their players to Christ. Sounds like good things, right? And so I realized this formula. Competitive sports plus competitive parents with kids minus Christ equals why Lighthouse has never had a youth basketball ministry. <laughs> there were parents who were not happy with me and what I was trying to implement. And I remember having a phone call with a coach who was not a Christian and I held the phone a few feet away and I could hear everything crystal clear. But it's during those heated moments we must make a decision. Those moments of opposition, will I follow the ways of the world to just yell back at them? Or will I keep ministering by loving like the gospel? On the other side of the coin, I had to make another different decision. Will I open my mouth and speak the truth to this coach? Or will I keep silent because in my selfish comfort, I wanted to avoid the conversation? At times, we need to love by speaking the truth that it may lead to us getting labeled as the enemy, the bigot, or any other name. And sometimes though, we need to be quiet and not respond in sinful anger or vindication. This third encouragement, the gospel frees me to love when facing opposition is extremely difficult, as I've mentioned. And the only thing we can do is turn to the one who perfectly loves, and that is our savior, Jesus Christ. During Jesus' ministry, his 12 disciples loved him. They were his companions. They, they listened and, and they spoke with each other. They did ministry shoulder to shoulder. They were his closest friends. But the night before Jesus died on the cross, we all know what they did. All of his disciples fled and left him alone. 
And remember while Jesus hung on the cross, there were those, it was those who he came to save were the ones who were mocking, ridiculing, and beating him. And infinitely worse, his own father turned away from him as he took on the sins of people like you and me. What can we learn is that Jesus Christ didn't respond in sin, rather he loved. Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. So when we can't love, Jesus is beckoning us to him. He'll remind us of how loved we are. He'll remind us of how much he sacrificed for us. And he'll let us know that out of his love, we'll be able to love those we're ministering to, even those who are opposing us. And that's what Paul does. He's so connected with the love of his savior. And it's only through that relationship and that love that flows out his love for the Galatians. That's genuine ministry, loving others when that love is not reciprocated. And I'm going to end this message by highlighting verse 18. It says, it is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. The good purpose is God's glory. Paul wants to make much of the Galatians because he wants them to make much of God. They'll do that by returning to the genuine gospel and then letting it manifest in God-honoring gospel actions. It is a beautiful picture when a church lives this out. Different church members doing different ministries in different circumstances, but living with the same purpose to make much of God. As a pastor, I have a unique vantage point of seeing people who minister and seeing people who are receiving ministry. And there's some Sundays when I see you and I'll remember a part of your story. There's some of you, when I see your kids, I remember how other brothers and sisters in Christ surrounded you physically and spiritually because your newborn baby was in the NICU and their future was uncertain. There's some of you, I remember our conversations as we sat in my office or as we talked on the phone when you shared about how your life was falling apart. And all I could do at that moment was just listen and pray. And I look at you and I see lives that are healthy, marriages that are mended. Some of you I see and I remember how you ministered to me and to my family. You brought over meals. One of you made this barbecue when our first, born, first uh, daughter was born. You guys wrote personalized notes to us. You let us know that you're praying for us. We really are a church that believes we're all needed and we're all needy. Paul has given us a beautiful example of what faithful gospel ministry looks like. Even when ministry is hard, we're a people who are united because of the gospel and we're a people who are encouraged to keep ministering the gospel to one another till Christ is formed in us. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for being a God who's so gracious, kind, patient with each one of us. And we also thank you that you allow us the opportunity 
and the blessing to serve one another. And I do pray that you would help those who are discouraged, those who you know, are going through rough times relationally with others. And I pray that your word will have brought hope and brought life to their souls this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.